Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Anthony Anthem, a.k.a. Mr. A.k.a. A.k.a. Black Fabio, a.k.a. The Best in the West, a.k.a. I'm Just Kidding, a.k.a. We have a special guest today. Um, would you like to say your name, sir? <laughs> the G-Man. Alan Gitlin, the G-Man. It's a tribute to my dad who died on 9-11, not in 9-11. I actually saw a second plane hit from the funeral home, and uh, it's a very interesting story. As I tell, I'm very proud of my best friend. Uh, saved my best friend's life by my dad dying. It's a very strange story, but a very good story. Wow. Uh, my best friend is a very religious Jewish guy who goes to synagogue every day. And um, he was in the synagogue, and one of his friends said to him, hey, could you take me to the train? And he said, listen, I'm going to stay a couple extra minutes because I want to play, send a, uh, uh, say a prayer for my uncle who's very sick in the hospital. And, of course, my dad died at 3 in the morning. We weren't calling anybody until you know, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, and by doing that, by staying an extra couple of minutes, his train was the first train not allowed to go into the World Trade Center. And he worked in Tower One. He would have been dead. Wow. So it's a really cool story. I'm very proud of it. And he was super close to my dad also. So it's a really cool story, and I'm really proud of it. And um, I, don't know, I just tell it all the time, man, you know. That's deep, man. Yeah. Yep. That's some yep. heavy stuff right there, man. Yep. As a matter of fact, it's, he, his daughter wrote a paper about it. <laughs> and um, they called her over to PA, and she thought her father was dead. And then she found out it was my father. She was upset, but not as upset as she was if it was her father, you know. I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. But she was upset, though, you know, because she knew, you know, she was pretty close to my dad also. But, you know, it was a relief to her a little bit that it wasn't her father that had passed away. You know, my father was 80, was 80 years old. It, was, it wasn't the same thing as my friend who was at, at the time, uh, let's see, 18 years ago. So he was about uh, 44, maybe. So, you know, slight difference, you know. Indeed. I mean, but it's a, a really cool story, and I'm very proud of it, to be honest with you. Mm. Either way, I'm sorry you lost your dad that day. Yeah, well, you know what? He was the, the good thing. He was he was only in the hospital three days, so he didn't suffer, as far as I know. And uh, he shouldn't have suffered. He was a good man. He was a good man. So my dad had a huge heart, and um, I have his heart, and I got my mother's personality. My mother was out very outgoing, and my father was a very quiet man who worked and did everything he could for his family. And uh, I'm pretty much. The same way, but I'm, I'm, I'll talk to the wall for the talk back to me. Of course, my mom would do the same thing. So, <laughs> you know. well, she used to tell me all the time, you talk to the wall, it'll talk. And I, and I wasn't like this. When I was in high school, I didn't say boo to anybody except for my friends. I was very quiet. I, I, I saw everything and I heard everything, but I didn't, I matured late and I grew late. I, I wrestled in high school at 16 years old. I was 5'3", 110 pounds. Wow. And uh, here I am at 66 years old, which people don't believe how old I am, but that's besides the point. Yeah, you do and not I'm, like you in your 60s, man. And I'm 6'3 and, and, and 220. So, You're 6'3? You know, three? Yep. Man, yep. I feel short now. I'm only 6'1. Yeah. I'm 6'3 and 220, yep. Um, I wrestled in high school at 5'3", 110 pounds. I was a lightweight. Well, the second class, like it was 106 and then 110. And um, by the time I graduated high school, uh, a year and a half later, maybe I was five nine, and then I grew after that. Talk um, about a growth spur, man. Yeah, I grew. I grew late, and I matured late. I was a little immature, I think. 
Uh, you know, I grew up in a small town with about 20,000 people. And um, I was sheltered a little bit. And I tell this a funny story. I went to work right out of high school. And this guy that was my boss, well, I had three bosses. My one boss was really my main boss. And he was like 32 years old working on marriage number four. And he cheated on all three of his wives. And they were gorgeous. And he was cheating on his fourth wife with everything in sight. And uh, I caught him in, in, in six or eight months. I caught him in three different positions with three different women in his office. And I, told him, I said, do me a favor. Could you lock the freaking door? Because I have to ask you questions. I don't need to see you uh, doing all kind of sex acts in your office, okay? <laughs> three different positions? Yeah. Yep. Three different women, too. And three different women. Oh, redhead today? And wait, he couldn't get fired because the manager of the store was his uncle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. Yeah, I really, I, 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 that's a true, I don't lie. I don't, tell, I, I don't make up stories. The story is a true story. His name was Tony Monopoly, and his, 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 his uncle was Joe Napoli or something like that. And uh, he was a real cool guy. He was a drummer in a band on the side. And his, all three of his wives, I met all three of his wives. Oh, actually, oh, I met all four of them. They were all gorgeous women. And he was cheating on all of them with anything that had a skirt on. Sounds you know? like it. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, after the third time of catching him, I said, do me a favor, lock your freaking door. You know, I, I used to see these things in magazines, but I saw him, I saw him in person. <laughs> it was like... You know, a 17-year-old kid, uh, oh, my eyes opened up a little bit. You know? It was like, well, in another edition of uh, Penthouse Letters. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. I should have, too bad I didn't have uh, cell phones that I couldn't take pictures and put them all over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Own, could have, he could have had his own video, actually, his own porn video. Uh, I mean, sure, you can make about $3,000 putting, uh, putting your right. porn video on porn up these days. Right, right. So that was my, edu that, so that was my education as, as, into sexual activity when I was 17 years old, you know. Uh, listen, I got in trouble at 13 for stealing my, my father's Playboy and showed it to the neighborhood. But, uh, <laughs> hey, this was the real thing, though, I saw, you know. It was wacky, babe. I'm telling you, three different positions. Um, doggy style, getting a BJ, uh, and, and missionary. So, you know, I, I saw it all. <laughs> this naive kid from the, from the sticks grew up pretty fast. <laughs> I'll say. Yep, yep. It was like, well, I learned the anatomy today. Uh, yeah, well, I don't, I don't think he minded even. He didn't care. I, don't think, I think the woman did, but he don't think he cared. <laughs> I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't care about you if you're staying there watching. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's like, either way, I'm a champion. I'm a stallion. That's right. <laughs> That's right. My flag is rising no matter what. <laughs> That's wild, man. Yeah, really, it was. It was wild stuff, man. I was 17 years old. I just, wow, my eyes got open, boy. I'm telling you. And then some. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yep. I think a few things rose too. It wasn't just his mind might have rising too at seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you, when when it comes to um to that age, you know, yeah, you know, it don't take much. <laughs> it don't take much. It really doesn't, man. The wind can blow, and next thing you know, it's boing. Right, right. At seventeen, it don't take a whole lot. Uh, you know, to set, you set it off, you know. 
No, that's well, speaking thing. of that, speaking of that, in my act, I do a comedy act. In my comedy act, I do I do a couple of bits about tattoos. You know, I don't have any tattoos. Mm. But speaking about this, I, it just reminded me of. But I, I do an act. Of, I do a, a bit about tattoos where I, I don't have any. But if I had, if I had one, if I was thinking of getting one, I get two, possibly on my, on my, uh, you know what? I won't go there. Leave that alone. <laughs> and so, so what? So the, one of them would say, "Big cannon shoots at will," and the other one would say, "If you can read this, you're not close enough." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I'm not job. Yeah, I'm buddy. Yes, I'm buddy. Yes, I am. You know, well, I appreciate that, man. Because so everybody needs to laugh, man. That was so, <laughs> man. How long have you been a comedian, man? I can tell you. Uh, I've, been, I've been a comedian off and on for about 15 years. Um, I played Caroline's in New York City, one of the famous clubs. I went to a comedy school. And they can't tell you you're not funny. What they try to do is critique your writing and get used to stage time. Mm. And unless you're on stage all the time, you ain't getting used to stage time. You know, I haven't been up there about three, four years, and I'm putting together an act uh, with a black guy, and he's going to be Frank White, not going to be Willie Black. Uh, and it's going to be it's going to be called the Unpolitically Correct Comedy Crew. <laughs> and so here's one of the bits. Here's a couple of the bits. I'll tell you real quick though. Where, so we have a guy in uh, on a cruise ship that wants us yesterday. We got a guy in Atlantic City, where the casinos are in New Jersey, that wants us like yesterday also. And we're just putting it together, kind of. Hmm. Uh, my idea. And so he asked me, I'm a Jewish guy. So he asked me as a Jewish guy, what do we what do we do on Christmas Day? And so I say, well, we go to the movies and eat Chinese food. And what do you do as a black man? We're robbing your house while you're going to the movies and eating Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so then I wrote another one about um, that. You know, I said you guys, you call us crackers. I said, I, am I a rich cracker or a clubhouse cracker? And he says, we're a clubhouse cracker because you're white and thin. Oh, <laughs> it's gonna be a, it's gonna be ethical humor. We're gonna pick on both races. So, hey, that's the way to go, though. <laughs> yep. So, so uh, we're gonna have a disclaimer that says if ethical humor offends you, you better leave now. Hmm. You know, hey, people can't get mad at you on them. Hey, comedy is supposed to be funny. You know, you can stereotype any group. You know what I'm saying? You know, you can stereotype Jewish people. You can stereotype black people. You can stereotype Polish people, uh, Mexicans, Chinese, you know, Polish. You know, it, it's, it's a stereotype. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what comedy was built on, though. Right. I mean, to right. be honest. Right. Right. Listen, I tell, Jew I tell a couple of Jewish jokes, even though I'm Jewish. I think they're funny as hell. And here's one of them. What do you call 40 Jewish women in a basement? What? A wine cellar. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> and why can't you keep Jews in jail? Why? Because they eat locks. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a clever one right there. I'll give and you that. What's, what's, and and there's, there's this famous one about what's the difference between a Jew and a canoe? What? Canoe tips. <laughs> I quit. So, that was good, everybody. I quit. <laughs> but you know what? It's a joke. It's meant to be a joke. It's that you know, if you get offended by it, then then you have no sense of humor. Right. You know, you know like I tell, I used to work with a guy who was Polish. And he was the first Polish guy in his family to go to college and get a degree. And of course, we told, we he said, you can't tell me a Polish joke because if you do, I'm not talking to you. So of course, we told him Polish jokes. Of course. 
you know. Oh my god. He went and he wouldn't talk to you for like three days, you know. <laughs> you know, like come on, man, it's a joke, you know, like uh I tell a joke about Polish people, like, you know, these two Polish guys are in a truck and are going down a hill and the driver says, Holy shit, we lost our brakes and the passenger says, Don't worry, there's a stop sign at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> you know, when the two Polish guys that went hunting, they saw a sign that said bear left, they turned around and went home. Oh my gosh. You know, so I mean, I mean but that's, but you can say that about anybody. You, could, you know, you could stereotype any group, you know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's supposed to be funny. It's, it's meant as a joke, you know, and you have to take it as a joke. You can't be offended by it. I agree. That's what, that's what comedy's all about, you know what I'm saying? I feel like the, I feel like it's slowly being lost because I mean you gotta think about it like way before like you know all the political correctness kind of invaded right. right like the comedy world we had to deal with like I mean you had to realize like there was Rodney Dangerfield you right. had you had Eddie no, Murphy Richard Pryor listen all in the family and Sanford and Son and Jeffersons they were funny shows mm-hmm and they they were right on the edge. Where they where they kind of would pick on both races a little bit, but yet they were funny, and people loved them, and they still watch them reruns. Okay, I know. I so, still watch the, um, Live at the Sunset with um, Richard Pryor. Right, right. So I mean that, that stuff was funny, you know. But people are afraid of it now because you want to be politically correct, you know. Like the town I grew up in, there's a lot of Indian people there now. They call it Little India actually, and. So I went to a bowling alley one day, and there was a kid, an Indian kid. He had a Jerry Rice jersey on his back. You know, he had a, he said Rice on his back. So I, I went up to him. I said, listen, you can't just have rice. You've got to have rice and curry. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so the guy, the guy took it as a joke, though. He was laughing. He, he, you know, he realized I was fooling around with him, you know. So he, it was, he had a good sense of humor. He was laughing. I said, you just can't have rice on your back. You've got to have rice and curry. Come on, man. You know. And now with Steph Curry, you could actually have rice and curry on your back. Literally, you could have rice and curry on your back, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but he—he he was he, the guy had a good sense of humor. He laughed it off. He—he he, he knew it was—it was meant as a joke. He knew that, which is pretty cool, you know. I mean, but, and that's just it. Like, having a sense of humor doesn't make you racist. No, 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 absolutely not, absolutely not. I mean, I can go down the list of comedians that have said some twisted shit. Oh yeah, and. Like, I thought the shit was funny. I mean... Listen, there's, there's no reason... You don't have to curse to be funny. You don't have to, you know, nigga, nigga motherfucker, motherfucker, that kind of shit. Come on. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's comedy without doing that. You know what I'm saying? I agree. Like, I, I tell a joke in my act that I borrowed from Buddy Hackett. The Buddy Hackett did on Johnny Carson like 40 years ago. And I give him credit for it because I even say in my act that it's stolen from Buddy Hackett. And it's one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard in my lifetime, and it's clean, but it's funny as hell, and I'm going to tell it to you. Okay. So, so this guy goes duck hunting, and he shoots down a duck, and it lands on a barn, and he goes to get it. And the farmer comes out and says, where do you think you're going? <laughs> and he says, well, I'm going to get my duck. And the farmer says, wait a minute, that duck landed on my barn, it's mine now. And the guy says, you're freaking nuts. I shot it down. <laughs> so the farmer says, the farmer says, let me ask you a question, where are you from? <clears throat> he says, I'm from the city. He goes, well, Houston, you don't know country rules. The guy says, what do you mean country rules? Country rules, you shoot something down there's on my property, it's mine. The guy says, listen, I've been out here six weeks, it's the only thing I shot down. I gotta go back with something. The farmer says, listen, I don't care if you've been out here six months. That duck is mine now. And they're going back and forth for like a half hour, 
And mm-hmm. finally, the farmer says, you know what? You don't sound like a bad guy. I said, I'll tell you what. We'll sell this country style. <laughs> and, uh, and the guy says, what do you mean country style? He said, well, I kick you in the nuts. You kick me in the nuts. I kick you in the nuts. You kick me in the nuts. Who's ever left stand? That's whose bucket will be. And the guy says, you know, not for nothing, but that sounds a little painful. But if that's what I got to do to get this duck, let's go. <laughs> so the farmer says, I go first. And he kicks him as hard as he can. And the guy goes down. Motherfucker, oh, my God. We have to use my nuts again. Holy shit. And he goes on the ground for like 45 minutes. And he finally gets to his feet and he goes, I guess it's my turn, huh? And the farmer says, no, nah, you can have the freaking duck. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, Buddy Hackett does this on Johnny Carson and he rolls on the ground and he knocks over the little table that Ed McMahon has his coffee on. So <laughs> the, crowd, the crowd goes crazy. And then he stands up and gives the punchline and they just go nuts. They just go crazy. The whole, the whole, everybody goes crazy. Johnny Carson almost fell off his chair. You know, and it's a funny joke, and it's clean, and it's clean. See, you know, that's that's pretty effective, if I say so myself, sir. Mm-hmm. Yep. See, I like that. Huh? See, I like that, because, I mean, there's all types of comedy that yep. people don't realize. I mean, heck, I don't really think Rodney Dangerfield cussed when he was, um, when he was working. No, I don't think ever. I don't think Roddy Dangerfield ever. I don't think Henny Young or him, either one of them, cursed. I don't think. Yeah, because like he would say some some funny stuff. Like it'd be right. a little raunchy, but I never yeah. ever heard him say a cuss word out of his mouth. He right. was like slick right. with it. Right, and so you know, there's another joke that I really like too. And I tell him my act also. I don't know where I got it from, but somebody told it to me, and I remember it, and I tell him my act. And it's these three guys. They play golf every Friday for ten years. And they come home one Friday, and their wife say to them, listen, guys, we, we booked a two-week vacation for you. And they go where? And they go, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And they're jumping up and down. All right, we're going to play golf. All right, we're going to play golf. And they say, whoa, <laughs> you, can't play, you can't play golf while we're down there. They go, what are you, nuts? That's the golf capital of the world, except for Florida. <laughs> go, listen to me. You can't play golf while we're down there. If you do, we're coming home on the next flight. We don't care what it costs you. So as men do, they think about it for about an hour. And they go, like, listen, guys, we're going away. Hey, we... We get away. Well, let's go. So they go, and the first week they're absolutely dying. Everybody asks them to play golf. There's golf. They can't play. Mm. Comes the following Monday. They're leaving Saturday. Go, Listen, guys, we're booking a nine o'clock tea time right now. We don't care what the women say. We're playing golf next Friday. So <laughs> Friday comes, and the three of them show up, and they're talking amongst themselves. How'd you get here? How'd you get here? How'd you get here? And the first guy said, "I was smart. I bought my wife a full-length mink coat, and she said I could go play golf." The second guy says, "I did better than you." I bought my wife a brand new Porsche Carrera 911 convertible. She told me I should go play golf. The third guy said, you know what? You're both stupid. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he said, last night I was in bed with my wife. I said, golf course or intercourse? She said, go play 18 holes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a clean joke also, but funny. But it's funny, you know? <laughs> See, I, I can do that. Like, I like that style right there because that, yeah. that shows how smooth you can still be and execute a good job. Right. right, without being nasty, without being, you know, without picking on anybody, without, you know, saying F this, F that, screaming at people, you know. Um, there's, listen, everyday life is funny. You know, I, I'm compared to Seinfeld, okay? I pay attention to things that people don't pay attention to. So, hmm. like, I, I flew down to Orlando about eight months ago. And in Newark Airport, I noticed that when I, had, I happened to have dinner there, 
And I noticed they give you a regular fork with a plastic knife. So I said to the guy, why can't I have a regular knife? And he said, TSA says you can't have a regular knife, but you could have a regular fork, though. Hmm. Like, you can't do damage with a fork. <laughs> really, you could stab somebody in the jugular, you could stab them in the heart, you know. What the hell, who ever thought of this stupid idea? But you can't have a knife, though. You can't have a regular knife, though. <laughs> I, think, I think you could do more damage with that fork than you could with a knife. Facts. Yeah, but nobody, I'm, how many people eat there and pay no attention to that? Of course, I did, you know. Or like uh, there was a cemetery near my house about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. They had a sign, open house on Saturday and Sunday. So I made a joke about it. I want to die when it's not open. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how many people drove by that sign and didn't pay attention to it? Of course, I did, of course. That's my, that's my sick sense of humor, you know. Well, you know, stuff like that. It's, every, it's, it's everyday life. You know what I'm saying? It's, there's things in everyday life that are funny, you know. So, um, so I think you work clean. Um, and most of the um, well, I usually take a shower every day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. All right. Touche, yeah. sir. Touche. I, I work, I work fairly clean. I get, I get a little bit raunchy, but I don't, I try not to curse if I can help it. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that though. I respect yeah, that. I mean, if it's in, in context of the joke, maybe, but I don't, I'm not saying they're going F you, F you, you know, you son of a bitch, you know, whatever. You know, um, if it's in the context of a joke, yes, maybe, but I don't, I try not to use, I get, I kind of like right on the edge with some of it, you know, I do you, jokes about, mast- you know, masturbation. I think on my ex-wife, you know, like, uh, you know, I got used to it. So, you know, now when I wake up, I have $25 in the jar, you know, <laughs> so I mean, and, I'm, and, and, and the Kleenex box is empty, you know, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Like the fact is, like you're finding a way to be creative, funny. Cause I mean, I yeah. think it takes a lot more work to be clean, but still be able right. to pull off these jokes. Like, right. right. I watch a mixture of comedy myself. Like right. I watch um, dry bar comedy, which a lot of those comedians right. were clean. Right. And then I'll watch like some of the guys like Joe Rogan and stuff like that too. I try to just keep my mind open to both sides. It's like, well, I like stuff- uh, my mm-hmm. two my uh, my two favorite comedians now. Or probably Ron White. Love him. Um, tells a lot of stories. And and Jeff Dunham. Even though Jeff Dunham's not the greatest ventriloquist, his humor is very quick. Very true. Very quick. Very quick. And that's what makes him not so much. He's, he's not the best ventriloquist. But he's, his humor is very quick. And he's right on the edge a lot of times. You know, he's like right there. He doesn't curse, but he's right raunchy, kind of right on the edge, kind of. You know. And hey. not all his characters are funny. You know, um, you know, Peanut is the big one, and yes, uh, Jose Jose Jalapeno on a stick is funny. You know, um, facts. Um, what's the guy? What's the Bubba J is funny. Uh, Walter's funny. True. You know, but not but not all of them are funny. You know, but most of them, it's his humor though. It's it's his quick humor that's 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 funnier than his actual. You know how he how he's controlling how he's controlling his dummy, the looks and he does. You know, and Ahmed, of course. Ahmed. <laughs> what what I, love, I love Ahmed. I kill you. <laughs> you know. Hey, you can't go wrong with that. And then there's AJ, his, his son, Ahmed Jr. You know, who looks, oh, like yeah. by a, who looks like he got ran over by a lawnmower. You know. That's, so that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I like the fact that um, there are guys out there that are still killing the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yep. 
I mean, they got to sell out of rain. Besides comedy, I do a lot of extra work, which I love. Okay. You know? And I've been in a couple of major movies. Um, I was in uh, The Bounty Hunter with Jennifer Aniston. If you blink, you miss me, but I got paid. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's all about the paycheck at the end of the day, bro. Uh, that's right. your bill. I was in a commercial with Joan London and Bob Smith, um, some kind of uh, investigative reporter. And she is a very cool lady. Uh, they did a take like 40 times, and she stood up and she said, I just want you to know that you extras are great. Us professionals suck. I thought that was so cool. I just thought that was so cool that she would, you know, that she would admit they're having trouble with this, this one scene, and the extras were fine. It was them. They, they just couldn't get it right, you know. So I thought that was so cool. Man, I've been a co- I was in a commercial for WWE and Stacker 2 about uh, 10 years ago. Oh, you were in and, one of the video game commercials? No, it was about, it was, uh, they were promoting the XFL and Stacker 2, actually. Wow. And actually, China, the wrestler who's dead now, uh, she got fired because her and uh, Six Pack or X Pac, whatever they call the guy, they were in a drunken stupor. They couldn't get a hold of her. And when basically, man, says you got to be somewhere, you got to be there. Yeah, and there's no play about business. Yeah, they dubbed they dubbed uh, Kane in afterwards, and Vince McMahon wasn't too happy about it. You know, of course, he also wouldn't sign off on the checks either that we had to wait a year for. But you know, <laughs> two grand, he wouldn't sign off. There was twelve of us. We we had two grand. Each one of us got two grand for that, and he wouldn't sign off on the checks. I kept bugging my agent. She goes, "Listen, I don't have the money yet. As soon as I get the money, I'll give it to you." And finally, after a year, she finally pulled it out. Like Vince McMahon likes to. Uh, take money in. He don't like to give it out. So, you know. Well, again, yeah. Again, 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 with his money, he doesn't have to, you know. So. And I was in a movie with uh, King Kong Bundy, who just passed away, actually. It's coming Our out now. Legend. Ten, ten years ago, actually, and it's coming out now. I just got to think. I had to sign off for a distribution. So, and I played a major part, and I played the head of the FBI in that, actually. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I just had fun with it. I had fun with it. And, you know, I'm not that an old, I'm an old man, but I tell people, listen, the odds of you being a star, that's a nice dream to have. But really, listen, there's 9,000 actors and 8,000 are starving. Okay. So you make it, you have some fun, you make a little money, you never knew who you meet along the way. That's how I look at it. And that's what I do. All, I'm every set. Everybody knows me. And I'm giving out my business cards to everybody. Because that's your calling card. Network, 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 network. Facts. So that's what it's all about, baby. You well, know, uh, oh, it is and will be. Well, you know what? I drive for Lyft also, and a lot. I've given, I've done about thirteen hundred rides. I bet you half of my rides have gotten my card. Wow. Well, hey, I don't know who they know. You never know. Right. Or hey, guess they need a comedian for a party. Or guess what? You got a friend of mine that's making a movie. Hey, I, I, there's a guy I, I drove with, you know, and he's an older guy or, you know, he's got gray hair. Maybe you need an older guy who looks like a cop because that's what everybody thinks. I look like a cop or a mobster. So um, I actually have a police uniform because I've got so many parts. I couldn't buy a police uniform in New Jersey because you have to have a badge and show ID. So I bought something from Party City that looks like a police. And actually been, I actually been stopped as a policeman, even though I'm not a real cop. Um, oh God! <laughs> I went to my granddaughter's uh, Halloween party three years ago at school, and the cop actually thought I was a cop. Wow! That's how realistic this, this uniform looks. You, know? you got it at Party City? Yeah, 
Yeah, I got it for Halloween actually, and then I wear it now. If I get caught. matter of fact, two weeks ago I was in a movie in uh, an extra movie in uh, in Brooklyn, and the guy asked me if I could bring my uniform with me because he couldn't get one of my size to rent. So wow, and they just covered up the patches. That's all, you know. So everything's fine now. I mean, I, I just have fun with everything I do. You know. I mean, life is short, my man. You know what? If you enjoy what you do, you're gonna have you're gonna be good at. It. You're gonna have fun. You're gonna you know. And so I, when I'm on a set, a movie set, I'm making everybody laugh. I'm telling jokes. I'm you know snapping off you know quick answers on people. You know, and I get everybody laughing and having fun. That's all. Because I'm having fun, so why not enjoy it? You know. I agree. You, you, I mean, you, that's what it should be about. You should be enjoying what you're doing. You know. I mean, and if you if you enjoy what you're doing, you're gonna be better at it. No, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, if you enjoy what you're doing, you enjoy your job, whatever it is, you're going to be good at it if you like it. If you don't like it, you're not going to be good at it. No, you're going to be garbage. Yep. Yep. I I completely agree with that statement. And to be honest, like, I mean, I think people forget that. Right. Right. Listen, if you don't like your job, get the hell away from it then. Simple as that. But most people, you know, I had a professor in college at night. I went to school at night, uh, two years. And I had a professor who said, listen, what happens is people get what they call, what he called the warm bath syndrome. You're sitting in lukewarm water and you don't want to stand up in the cold air. You know it's not good, but you're going to stay in it because you don't want to stand up and get in that cold air. And he's absolutely right. What happens is you get complacent. You do that. Listen, we all do that in relationships also. We, we stay in them too long because they're comfortable. And you know the person, and even though you know it's not going anywhere, you say, let me see if it's going to get better. And, of course, it never does. Okay? Yeah. It's like a I – I compare it to like a bad movie. You're waiting for, you ever watch a bad movie and you, you say, what the hell did I watch this thing for? Yeah. Because you, you're waiting for it to get better. It never did. And instead of cutting it off when you should have, you try to say, oh, let me, see if, let me see if this is getting better. Next thing you know, it's two hours later and you saw the whole goddamn movie. And it never got any better. But if you cut it off after the hour, when you thought it was bad, you'd have been better off, you know. But you just don't do it. You just don't do it for some reason. We all don't do it for some reason, you know. Man, that makes sense to me. Now, I always say, you know what? Um, you got to be young and dumb to be old and experienced. <laughs> I agree. Or else you ain't gonna make no trial and error and learn from it. Well, you got listen. You can't have experience if you don't fall down. You know. Exactly. You know, like, it's like when you're a kid, you know, if you touch the stove, you know, you, then the next time it's hot, you ain't going to touch the stove no more. You know what I mean? But you didn't know that until you touched it. Facts. You know? So, you didn't know you are going to get a philosophy lesson also when you called me here. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. There's nothing wrong with learning hey, the game. Hey, I got a little, I got a little, I got a lot of experiences, you know? So besides driving for Lyft, I've also been online dating for about 20 years. I have some stories that are just unbelievable. If you've ever been on online dating or anybody has, I, ho- I hope you can relate to some of these stories I'm going to tell you now. Oh, boy. So I meet a lady. Of course, they all want to meet in a public place. You know, God forbid they should meet in a, you know, something that, that's quaint, you know. They want, they want to make sure there's a crowd around because they don't know you. Even though they talk to you on the phone a couple of times or you email back and forth. So which is fine with me. I've been doing this for... 20 years off and on, like I said. So I meet this lady on a Friday near her house, right around the corner from her house, actually. 
And um, we meet and everything's great. And she's telling me, well, you're a great guy. You're exactly what I'm looking for. And I tell her, yeah, you know, you seem like a nice lady and I'd like to see more of you. Um, literally and figuratively. Um, mm-hmm. And so on the way home, we text in, you know, hey, I hope you had a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking forward to seeing you again. And she tells me her dog is having surgery. And I'm a dog lover. I'm an animal lover. I love dogs. So I said, I hope your dog makes out okay tomorrow. And then in the morning, I text her, good, good morning. I said, I hope your dog makes out okay, you know. I get a text from her about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And she says, you know, I can't see you anymore. And I'm like, why? Did I do something wrong? You're too concerned about my dog. <laughs> really, lady, what else is going on in your life? Were you cheating on your husband? Were you cheating on your boyfriend? Did you use me for a dinner or something? I don't know. Something else was going on, though, definitely. Okay? So this goes back about two or three years ago, I guess. I meet this lady online, and she wants to meet at a restaurant in between both of our houses. And she gets lost going there. She picks the place, and she gets lost going there. So she tells mm-hmm. me that she's got a house in Florida. And so I, I see this Lexus pull up at Florida place, nice car, and this beautiful blonde comes out in nice shape. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this is nice. Man, we have dinner, we have a couple of drinks, and she tells me her husband um, died seven years ago, and uh, she works for the state of New Jersey, and she's got a good job. She's been there like 25 years or whatever, and she has a house in Florida. Hmm. And she said, I'm going down there in a couple of weeks, but I don't like to drive down by myself. She said, I'll dr- you know, how about if you drive down there with me? I said, okay. And she said, yeah, we'll take a couple of days. We'll have a good time along the way. I was like, oh, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, And she said, then I'll fly you back. No, I said, oh, that sounds good. So, you know, we go our separate ways at the end of the night. We text, you know, you're a nice guy, you're a nice lady, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, I text her, I said, good morning. She goes, I don't think there was a connection. I'm like, wait a minute, 12 hours before that, I was driving you to Florida. Now, all of a sudden, there's no connection. What the hell happened in those 12 hours? Hmm. I have no idea. Either she was cheating on her husband, maybe. Or something was going on because you can't be saying that I'm driving you to Florida at nine o'clock at night at nine o'clock in the morning. The next morning you tell me there's no, no connection. Something, something, either you had or you're bipolar lady, one of the two. Right. Or, you know, I meet people out here and you meet them at a diner or something. They go, you know what? I don't think I should be out here yet. You know, I don't know if I really want to meet anybody. What are you on a dating site for then? Obviously, they do. People don't want to be alone, right? But are they using you for dinner, or you know, I, I don't mean, meet people. I don't meet people at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks. If you can't afford dinner or lunch, you shouldn't be dating. Okay, I agree. You're talking about twenty-five or thirty bucks or whatever. Come on, if you can't afford that thirty bucks, now here's a, here's an example. I met a lady at, at, a, at a diner near my house. She wanted to go. She wanted to meet at a diner. Very nice diner. I know her very well. Nice, good food and a nice place. And she wouldn't, the pictures that she had online were only from the waist up, which is fine. A lot of, a lot of people do that, mm-hmm. you know, but so she gets there and she's a little wide on, on you know, at, in the hips, but she's not, but she seemed like a nice lady. So I, you know, I'm not going to judge her by that, right. you know? And so she says to me, I just want you to know that my husband died seven years ago. And I had to ask my son if I could meet you tonight. I go, wait a minute, you're 60 years old, and you had to ask your 35-year-old son if you could meet me tonight. <laughs> yeah. So I said, listen, I said, I've been out here about 20 years off and on, probably now it's 25 years, um, 
And I said, what's going to happen when you go out with somebody three or four times and they want to go to bed with you? Are you going to have to ask your son? Hmm. And she said, why are you being so nasty? And I said, listen, I'm not being nasty. I'm telling you what goes on out here. Okay. You don't know what goes on out here. You're just coming out here now. And this is what goes on. And if somebody takes you out three or four times, after the fourth time or the fifth time, they're going to want to go to bed with you. Okay. It's not like when you got married years ago, that maybe you were a virgin until you got married. That don't work that way now. You're not a virgin no more. Okay. Okay. So the guy's going to want to go to bed with you after four or five times that he goes out with you. And she said to me, why are you being so nasty? I said, listen to me. I'm not being nasty. I'm telling you reality of what's going on out here. If you can't accept it, then you're not ready for this yet. And she said, well, I think I am. I said, well, you know, we're going to have dinner. And it's going to be the last time you ever hear from me. No offense. Because I don't think you're ready. Wow. Hey, it is what it is. You know? Hey. Well, at least you were off wrong with her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I try to be honest with her. What's going on out here? You know? Listen, when I first got divorced, I didn't do anything for two years. I was I was in my children's lives, and I had to move back with my parents. I was out of work. I had a lot of stuff going on. Uh, my life had completely changed. Um, I lost a job I had for 25 years. And so it was a lot of my life was in a turmoil. Okay. And after two years, my mother came to me and said, listen, you're waiting for your children to call you and their life is going on without you. I'm watching my child suffer. And if you don't start going out and doing something, I'm going to kick you out of this house. You're going to have no place to live. Well, that's what I needed. I needed a swift kick in the rear end. And I need, I started going out and I met a lady who had been separated for four years. Her and her husband were fighting about everything. Mm. And after about a month of going out with her, she said to me, is there something wrong with you or is there something wrong with me? And I go, what are you talking about? She said, well, I've been out with guys over the year, over the last four years, and they all want to jump my bones. You haven't made a move on me. And I said, listen, it's not that I don't know what to do. I was with one woman for 16 years. This is like 17 all over again. Mm. Okay. Well, she stuck her tongue down my throat. I think I knew. I kind of got the idea what she wanted. Well, <laughs> yeah. I can only yeah. guess. It definitely wasn't mouth to mouth resuscitation. No, it wasn't. No, no, it was tongue to tongue. Actually, well, that was good. Um, <laughs> so I knew what she wanted after that. So I wasn't too shy after that, you know. But anyway, but I mean, that's what goes on out here. That's that's you know, listen, yeah. women want it just as much as guys do. You know, I agree. You know, they're gonna they're gonna try and hold out, but they know they they do they they want the same thing you do though. Come on. You know, they talk about sex as much as guys do. They we don't think so as guys, but they do. Oh, they do. It's true. Yeah. I mean, but I got plenty of homegirls that are just yeah. as gross as some of the guys. Right. But we don't. But see, we don't think of that. We don't think of girls going to Malaysia talking about you know men's you know parts, but they do. You know. Believe me, they do. Yeah. Yes. And that goes yeah. out for everybody that's listening. Everybody yeah. thinks about sex. It right. doesn't matter who you are. Well, you know, sex, when you're in a relationship with somebody or just going on a booty call, sex brings you closer to the person. It, it, it makes them feel like you want them, okay? Mm-hmm. Holding hands, kissing in public, that's all affection that we all need you know, for our brains to work properly, okay? Um, it, it, it gives us a, a good feeling inside when a person holds your hand or kisses you in public that they're, that they're thinking about you. And, you know, it just makes you closer for some, you know, it's it, it, intimacy 
It brings people close together. No matter what you try to have a booty call, even even though you think it's only a booty call, you're, you're becoming emotionally attached to that person eventually. Facts. It's inevitable. It's hard. It's hard to separate emotions from intimacy. If you can do it, God bless you. But it's hard to do. I already know I can't do it. I'm one of those. I know I can't. I know I can't do it. It's hard. To, it's hard for me to do. I've done it a few times, but it's very hard to do. I agree. You know, likewise. You know. I don't like all that complicated shit, to be honest. Like, it either is what it is or it ain't what it ain't. Right. That's right. Yep. Yep. So, I I completely understand that very, very well. Yeah, I mean, even though, like, I'm, like, I'm not even at, um, I'm not even 30 yet. I turned 30 this year. It's all right. Have a good time. I'm still learning, man. It's, it's, still, a, it's still a learning thing for me. It's all right. So I, I think you learn if you don't have experience. I agree. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. Some good, some bad, but you know for next time. Man, you're speaking raw facts right now. I appreciate these gems you're giving me. Right, listen. You know what they say? You don't have a good partner, you better have a good hand. <laughs> <laughs> listen, there's, listen. There's no complaints. There's no fake orgasms. No, no smoking after sex. <laughs> That's actually in my act, actually. Touche. Yep. Hey, uh, hey, you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes, you know. I mean, it's not loaded. It. It's natural, actually. I'm not gonna lie, though. Like, I like the fact that you're just like you're you're very real. Like, you're not just like you know trying to put on like this press face and all that no, kind no, of stuff. No, no, no. I'm 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 about as real as you can get. Well, I definitely respect I that. I don't put no airs on. I I say things exactly the way they are, man. That's the way I am. You know, I got I got stories up the wazoo. I mean, everyday life is funny. Every day, people don't realize how funny everyday life is. You know, and mm-hmm. and and reality is reality. You can't listen. I was telling somebody today in the lift. I said I don't worry about a whole lot of stuff anymore. Okay, what I worry about is my kids and my grandkids. Everything else will work itself out. One way or the other, either in my favor or not in my favor, and I probably have no control over it anyway. So no sense worrying about it because you're only going to make yourself nuts. Okay? True. Stress, stress and worry can do a lot of things to your body. And most things, you may be in a certain spot now, but that doesn't mean you're going to be in that spot tomorrow. Exactly. Okay? Now, I know people, well, I knew people who, did, who committed suicide, and to me, I know it sounds terrible maybe to some people, but that's the most selfish act you could ever do in your lifetime. No, I completely because, agree. Because the people left behind are the ones that get hurt. I agree. And what, ha- and what happens is I was, I was close once to doing it, okay? I was going through a really, really bad time, and I, I, I didn't know where to turn. And what saved me from doing it is that I couldn't hurt my parents and my sisters and my kids. That would destroy them. I couldn't do that to them. And what it is is you're you're when you're thinking about it, you're in a box and you can't get out. But that box is temporary. But you don't see it that way. It's like you can't get out for that for that amount of time, whatever it is, two months, three months, or a couple of weeks, whatever, you can't get out of that box. There's no way you can get out. And so you think that that's the best way out. But that box is only temporary. Whether it be financial, emotional, it doesn't matter. That's temporary. But you don't see it that way when you're going through it. 
You know, you think that's the best thing to do, but you're not, but you're not thinking about anybody else if you do it. You're thinking about yourself, the easy way out. But the people left behind are the ones that get hurt. And it could destroy their lives. And that's what saved me from doing it. I couldn't, I couldn't do that to my parents. I couldn't do that to my kids. I couldn't do it to my sisters. That would have destroyed them all. I'll, shoot, I'll keep it real with you then because well, I attempted. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, me too. I, I with you. And, and I swore I'd never be like that again, and I haven't. I'll keep it um, 100 with you. Nine years ago, I did attempt it. Yeah. It didn't go well. And okay. I, I never seen my mom so hurt in my life, man. Right. She right. was like, this, right. she was this, she was angry. It was just to the point where like, she was like, I can't believe you would even do that. Right. Right. How could you hurt me that way? Right. You're her child, and she doesn't want to see her children hurt like that. So mm-hmm. by by doing your by hurting yourself, you're hurting her. You know, mm-hmm. just like. You know, I, I had a friend of mine when I first got divorced, and he said to me something about, uh, you know, I've never heard you talk bad about your ex-wife. All these people are talking about their ex-wives and their ex-husbands out here. And I said, let me tell you something. I said, my ex-wife was part of my life for 16 years. I said, if I badmouth her, who I had my children with, who I did love at one point, what does that say about me? Does that mean I'm badmouthing myself, really? And he said, you know, I never looked at it that way. And I go, well, I did. Because if I'm bad-mouthing her, I'm bad-mouthing myself. There, 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 there are some things she did, she did that weren't very nice to me. But as far as she was a good mother, she kept a good house. You know, she put, made sure there was food on the table. My kids had clothes. There was money in the bank. What am I going to bad-mouth about? Whatever we had going on between us was between us. But as far as bad-mouthing her, that doesn't get me anywhere. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, I never thought of it that way. And he was never married, this guy. And he said, you know, that, you know, what are you looking at it is the right way to look at it. I said, no, these other people out here, they're bad-mouthing this one, F this, you know, you're a jerk. Blah, 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 blah. He says, you never talk like that about her. I said, she doesn't, she's done some things to me that weren't very nice. Okay, but as far as bad-mouthing her, no. No. I said, she might be bad-mouthing me, but that's <laughs> not her, not me. You know? <laughs> True statement. Listen, if you do the right thing, and the other person doesn't, it's on them, not you. True. You know, listen, my ex-wife, we've been divorced 25 years. She barely talks to me when we're together. Okay? What she's angry about, I have no freaking idea because she lives in a 15-room house that's worth half a million dollars, which I built and paid for before we got divorced. It's custom built. And she lived there with her ex-husband, with her new husband of 20 years now. She's actually married to him when she's married to me. Okay? She's lived a lot better than I have in the last 25 years, and I say to people, listen to me. I said, I'm going to tell you a piece of advice that you may not realize now at a young age, including you. Houses and cars and money can be replaced. Your your happiness and your sanity can't be. Facts. Pure facts. Right. Well, here's the thing. I tell people, listen, right now I share a house with two other people. So I lived in a nicer house, a 15-room house on half a, on a half an acre of land. I think it was a little nicer than what I'm living in now. Okay, I drive a well. I just got a new car, but I drive. I used to drive a little nicer car, not much nicer than what I got now. And I had more money in the bank when I got divorced than I have now. Guess what? I'm still living. I'm still breathing. I'm still laughing. Okay, that's, that's more important to me. Houses and cars and money 
you know, we listen, we all need money to survive. We all need a car to get around, okay? We all need a place to live. But guess what? It don't have to be a mansion. It don't have to be the best car in the world. And you don't have to have, you know, a million dollars in the bank, okay? If you're breathing and you're living and you're having fun, enjoying what you're doing, that's important. And you're doing it right. It really is. <laughs> and I wake up every day with a smile on my face. The attitude you're here on the phone here, that's what I have every day. I have fun with everything I do. I'm a little nutty. I'll talk to anybody. Um, as wacky as I am, <laughs> I know I got a good heart. And here's an example of it. Last week, I went to a place down in the Jersey Shore mm-hmm. to have lunch. And this guy walked in on oxygen. He barely could walk, actually. He walked in with his wife. I didn't know what they had or didn't have or could have or should have, whatever. And we started talking. He had trouble talking, actually. I was talking to his wife. They had come back from Florida. They have a house in Florida. And when the bill came, I took his bill. And he said, what are you doing? His wife said, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking your bill. She goes, why? I said, because I feel like it. That's why. <laughs> I said, your bill and my bill comes to about $30, maybe. I said, I'm 66 years old. What does that come out to? 50 cents a year? 40 cents a year? It's a big deal. They were mm. flabbergasted by it. They went outside to a brand new Mercedes. Okay. I didn't care what they went. I didn't care. I didn't care what they had or didn't have. It didn't matter to me. I just felt like this guy doesn't have probably too long to live, to be honest with you. And I just felt like taking their bill. See, that just means you got a good spirit and a good heart, my man. Yep. Yep. Hey, you know what? If more people were like that, we wouldn't have so many problems in the world. True statement. You know, but people are out for themselves. They don't think about anybody else. Here's an example. Yesterday, I went to dinner at a Perkins pancake near my house. And my friend, one of my friends has uh, two 16-year-old twins. And his daughter is 26 and her husband and their three-year-old boy lived there. So I was paying the bill. And I saw these big round cookies with the, I don't know, they're like, like, um, Sprinkles on the top of them. So it was like six for $8 or something like that. So I said, give me six of them. I went to his house, which is only about a half a mile away. And I said, hey, his grandson's name is Aiden. I said, Aiden, these cookies are for you. So he took mm. one lick of it. He, he actually licked one and didn't like it. <laughs> so I said, listen, I ate one. The rest of them you can have. Our 16-year-old daughters came out. They said, oh, Uncle Al, thank you. You know, we like these. Hey, I, didn't think, I wasn't thinking about myself. You know, I was thinking about them. You know what I mean? And my friends who really know me well know that I think about other people for myself. What's the big deal? What's, if I know, you know, like my, my buddy's not a, a, he doesn't follow football or baseball or basketball. He's a fisherman. So if I see something with fishing, I'll, I'll send it to him online or, hey, I got a big this magazine about fishing. You want here, here, take it, you know? Right. What's the big deal? You know what I mean? What's the big deal? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, if I know you like something, like my friend here, my best friend, they love the devils here. So I got something from the devils the other day about uh, reduced tickets for next year. I sent it to him and his son on emails. I'm not a devil fan, but you guys want to go? Here's a here's a way to save some money. You know, hey. what's, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? You know what I'm saying? And knowing them, I know they'll probably ask me to go with them, which is fine. I'll go watch it. I won't watch it anyway if they if they call if they ask me. You know, <laughs> you know. Hey, I, last year, 
I, I was at the NFL draft in the Meadowlands in New Jersey. I won a contest wow. online, which I forgot totally about. And it was, uh, it was two tickets to the, the Verizon Skybox to watch the draft, free food and free uh, drinks. But you couldn't have alcohol. It was regular you know, soda and stuff like that. So I took my best friend's 21-year-old son, who was ecstatic. Here we are watch, watch, watching the first and second round from a skybox. All right? Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't have to take him. I could have taken anybody, but I know this kid's a big sports fan. And so I said, hey, you want to come? Come on. Let's go. Hey, I didn't have to take him. I could have taken somebody else. But I knew, he, I knew he'd get, go crazy about it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing to be at the actual draft, at the, you know, in the skybox yet, watching the draft on a jumbotron. It's freaking unbelievable. It was once in a lifetime. We had special badges on and everything. I still got, I got the badge in my, in my house, actually. And we took a picture with the badges on, you know. Man, you made this kid's life, man. Oh, yeah, he was ecstatic. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah, he was, he was, he was, he couldn't believe it. Matter of fact, he was supposed to go this year, but it was uh, a Jewish holiday. He, he doesn't go like stuff like that on Jewish holiday. Oh, uh, and I still don't think the Jets or the Giants made a mistake. Um, you know, there's all this stuff in New York about this, this kid Jones that they picked mm-hmm. from Duke, but you know what? You don't know what this guy's going to be. You don't know what any first rounder is going to be. There's plenty of first rounders that never made it in the NFL. Okay. It's a crapshoot. You have third rounders and fourth rounders and unsigned guys that make it. And you have first rounders and second rounders that never make it. So it's a crapshoot. Okay. You have no idea just because they're good in college doesn't mean they're going to be good in the pros. Or the guy who can't may not be that great in college, and all of a sudden he turns into a star. I mean, don't know. look don't at know. like what we got in Kansas City. We got Patrick Mahomes. We wasn't sure what right. we were going to get. I mean, right. we got one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. Right, he's a good young quarterback, I and mean, he he's learned the game very well. He's picked it up real quick, you know. But when you draft him, did you know if he was going to be that good? You didn't know. I mean, you we hoped he was going to be that good from his resume, but you didn't know if he was going to make it or not. Exactly. Because, man, we've had some players, man. Like, yeah. we've gone through a lot of quarterbacks in the last decade. Right, right, right. And you tried a bunch of guys, and it's, it, for some reason, didn't fit in the system or it just didn't work for them. Right. You know? it's a Listen, it's a crapshoot. You know, it's a crapshoot. Listen, Aaron Rodgers sat behind, you know, everybody for four years before he made it. Okay? Uh, you know? You know, some of the other guys, you know, they, they sat before they made it. Not everybody makes it right away. Not everybody picks up the systems right away. It takes time sometimes. Even in baseball, you got these number one picks that are all over the all over the leagues. That all of a sudden, two, three, or four years later, now they're a star because they matured. They 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 figured out the league a little bit. You know, I think everybody's talking about Zion being the the first draft pick of for the Knicks. Okay, that's right. a big thing in New York, and I think he should stay in school another year. How about that? I don't think he's mature enough for the NBA. Look what happened to uh, what's the guy from the other guy from Duke, J- J- uh, Jabell Parker or something like that. Hmm. What happened with um, Jamel Parker? Well, he didn't really make it. You know, oh, really. he was, he came out. He was the best thing since sliced bread, and all of a sudden he disappeared. You know, but this kid is is a is a good player, and, and he's good and he's big, but he needs a little more seasoning. I don't think he's ready for the NBA yet. And listen, he dominated college, but college ain't the pros, baby. Okay, there aren't guys the same size as you in college. There's going to be plenty of guys in the NBA the same size as you. 6'8", 270. There's guys 6'7", around the same size. 
This guy's bigger than you, taller than you, can can bench more than you, got bigger bigger physically than you. You have to learn to deal with that, and you may not be able to deal with it. I agree. I mean, so the stay in college and learn get your shot down more. <laughs> you know, three pointer and your and your free throws get them down more. Learn learn how to you know play off the ball a little more. Maybe come out a little more than than you, what you're used to. You know, the NBA the centers are they're pretty much non-existent now. You know, so. You you're kind of like in between six eight two seventy. What do you play? What do you play? Do you play center? Do you play guard? Do you play what? I don't know. You know he's kind of in between. He's he's kind of like a. Well, I mean LeBron, of course, is the best. You know, I mean I still say he's the best, but I, even though I don't like his attitude sometimes. You know, <laughs> you know I don't. It's baby stuff. I mean, his baby. Every time he doesn't get a call, he stands there and watches the ball go down the other side of the court. You know. And uh, when he goes to drive, they just get out of his way, you know. I mean, you know, it, but listen, Durant and Kawhi Leonard, they're right up there with him, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge Durant fan. They can control the game, you know. I mean, you know. when you got monsters like that on the court, yeah. you got to think to yourself. I mean, the game was evolving from the time Jordan was there. Right. I mean, yeah. Jordan, I said, Jordan. I said nobody could – listen, Jordan was the best – player probably ever i mean you know you you put him in a, in a class with with chamberlain and russell yeah you know, that's 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 like the upper echelon of the nba you know kareem you know yep. jerry west those are the those are the cream of the crop and i mean even how a check just died and those are guys you you know I, you know they just they, they're just larry bird and johnson you, you know those are guys you just those are the top of the echelon you know I mean, yeah, like, look at look at who he had to face um, during those yeah. years. He had Shaquille right. O'Neal. He had to deal with um, yep. Charles Barkley. He had to deal with yep. Muggsy Bogues. Yep, yep. I mean, yep. Matumbo. Yeah, Matumbo uh, was, a, was the uh, human eraser pretty much, you know. He just you couldn't shoot over that guy, you know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think Jordan came from the toughest times. Don't get me wrong. I believe these are tough times for a lot of the players now. Yeah. I've actually gotten back into basketball because of some of the guys I got now. Well, you know, I'm a big – I'm not a New York fan. I'm not a – I was never a Knicks fan. I was a Celtics fan when I was younger, and now I'm a Spur guy because the Spurs play ball the way it's supposed to be done. That's why they got so many no, championships. <laughs> there's no real star. I love Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan, listen, Tim Duncan, five, five championships in 19 years, he gave up money to keep people on the freaking team, okay? Wait a minute. If I'm making twenty million and I got to take fifteen million instead of twenty to keep somebody on the team, guess what? I'll take the fifteen million. Okay, that's 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 showed a lot of class on his part, in my opinion. The guy never complained, never complained about nothing. Gave you his his minutes, you know, his nineteen points, his fifteen rebounds. You know, just kept his mouth shut, just played the goddamn game. That's all you want. Mm-hmm. And but yet you couldn't get his jersey. Sometimes I tried to buy his jersey, I couldn't get it here in New York. I got nothing but respect for Tim Duncan. Yeah, I never heard of you. Why you never really hear about Tim Duncan having any problems outside of court either? No, he got divorced, but you never really know about it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I didn't know he got divorced. I didn't even know he was married. Right. Yeah, he kept it quiet. You know, he didn't. And you know what he's doing now? What is he doing? well, when he, when he started getting, when he knew he was going to retire, he owned up. He was always into cars. He makes custom cars for all the stars now. 
He's got a shop somewhere. I don't know where, but I saw it on, on one of those shows. He's got a shop somewhere and makes custom cars for everybody. And he, and he restores old cars and all kinds of stuff. And he That's said he awesome. did as a kid. He, he liked cars when he was a kid, and he got into it little by little. And as he started making more money, somebody that he knew opened up a shop, and he got, inv- he got involved in it. You know, and that's where he's got like a custom car shop where he restores old cars and he'll customize new cars for all the stars and, and some of the basketball players, obviously, you know, and you don't hear a word about him. You don't hear a word about him. He retired and that's it. And, you know, leave me alone. I'm not bothering you. You're not bothering me. You know, so it's a lot of class, actually. You know, I, I'm a big boxing fan. Likewise. And I loved Marvin Hagler. I loved Marvin Hagler. He was one of my favorite fighters of all time. And Marvin Hagler was managed by these two guys that own the construction company. And they said to him, listen, we don't need your money. We're going to make money off you, but we don't need your money. Okay, we're going to, we're going to make sure that you have money for the rest of your life. And they said, when you start making million-dollar fights, we're going to give you $250,000 to live on. If you can't live on that, there's something wrong with you. Okay? So what they did was, when interest rates were 12 and 15%, they bought long-term bonds that fell over 15%. And they said to him, when you retire, whether you win or not, well, I still think he beat Sugar Ray, but that's besides the point. He said, when, when you lose, mm. your body's telling you you're done. I don't care if you think you want to fight or not, you're done. Get the hell away from it. You still got your help. Well, he still gets, he's retired almost 30 years, I, bet, I think, maybe 25 years. I don't know. He gets $5 million a year to the year 2025 from his investments. And he's in Europe, he's in Italy, where the money is three to one. Wow. You don't hear a word about him. Not a word. He's making movies over in Italy. That's awesome. And they took care of him to make sure he had money for the rest of his life. Listen, these athletes didn't learn from Joe Lewis. Or even in more recent, Mike Tyson. How's that? If Mike Tyson hadn't married his, th- his third wife, he'd be flat out in the street probably. He'd probably be dead by now. Mike is just now out. getting it together. She straightened him out. They got a nice home in Las Vegas. Yeah. He got some money. He's, he's making some money traveling around and giving his tours and talking about what his career and what he did wrong, you know. And see, the problem with, with Tyson was Customato found him in juvenile detention home. At the age of 14, at the age of 14. And the reason why he was in there was he used to sit on a bus in Brooklyn and see somebody take out their wallet and see how much money they had. And then when he go off the bus, he'd knock them out, take their wallet. Yeah. And so he ended up in juvenile detention. And somebody in the juvenile system said, hey, there's a guy in here who's got a hell of a punch. He just, he's raw, but he needs, you know, he needs some refining. Now, Customato was uh, Floyd Patterson's manager and also somebody else that was a middleweight, I think, that they were champions. Hmm. So he kind of adopted Mike Tyson. Tyson. And and when Mike Tyson started getting older, he had Teddy Atlas be like his bodyguard, his chaperone. At 1 o'clock, he had to get him in the house. That's it. Get him in the house because he's going to get in trouble. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a boy in a man's body and he's got a brain of a peanut. Okay. Mm. He's, he's a street thug. He doesn't know anything. He's not refined and you got to get him off the street cause he's going to only get in trouble. 
So when Custom Auto died and uh, Don King got a hold of him, Don oh, King God. said, well, you're a grown man. You can do what the hell you want. Well, that's when Tyson's career went down the toilet and kept going down the toilet until it rock, rock bottom when he ended up in jail for that possible rape thing. Unfortunately, okay. yeah. If Custom Auto hadn't died, that probably would have never happened. He could have been the best ever championship champion. But instead, he couldn't deal with what was going on in the ring. He couldn't deal with the stuff outside. And his career went down the toilet. And it wasn't for his third wife now. Now they got a house in Las Vegas. They got a couple of kids. He's got some money in the bank. He's going around touring, doing a few things here and there. He's staying out of trouble. He realizes what he did years ago was a mistake. I mean, but if he had if he if he hadn't met this woman, he probably would have been dead in the street. He admits it too. He admitted. Yeah, because like I listened to his podcast right. a lot, and yeah, he says like his third wife said his life. Right. Right. Yep. Listen, Joe Lewis ended up broke. You know, uh, Max Max Bear Max Bear helped him out, um, and Max Schmeling helped him out. They gave him money, but he ended up being a greeter in a casino. How degrading could that be to a champion to be the you know and meet you at the door and say, "Hey, I'm I'm the Brown Bomber." Really? How degrading could that be to you? That's got to be brutal, man. Right, but you know what happened when he was when he was winning all he was making all his money. You know, he was playing golf for $100 a hole. The only problem was he didn't know how to play golf. And his friends were suckering him. Wow. And he, 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 had, he didn't have much of an education. And he, and he ended up broke. So Max Schnelli and Max Bear, who he knocked out, both of them, they helped him out. They actually gave him money when nobody knew it, though. You know, they, they, he, was, he was too proud to ask him. And they actually gave him some money to keep him going for a while. But how degrading could that be? The heavyweight champion of the world, and you're you're like a like a guy at Walmart greeting people. Really, you know, because he he didn't have an education and he blew through all his money. And you know, I would think that some of these athletes would learn from that, but they don't, obviously. You know, um, as an example, I don't know if you know I don't know if you know who Dexter Manley is. I do. Okay, Dexter Manley paid for the Washington Redskins, got two Super Bowl rings. You know, he can't read and write. That's rough. He got out of football, and he said, I can't get a job because I don't know how to read and write. He went through high school, went through college, made millions of dollars playing for the Redskins, and couldn't read and write. How does that happen? Basically, because they favored him as an athlete. Right, right, right. They pushed him through school, and he thought it was great. You know, I'm going through, I'm getting education, I'm getting a degree and all this. And people were taking tests for him. But guess what? Here, here the man gets out of football at 35 years old and can't get a job because he can't read and write. How long do you think that money's going to last? Hardly ever. That money's going to go down the tubes eventually. You Listen, when you have nothing coming in and you have a lot of money going out, eventually that the well goes dry. That's just the way it is. <laughs> you know, you got more going out than coming in. The world goes dry eventually, you know? So. I mean, that's a lot to think about, though, man. Because, like. Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, you know, there was a lot. Of, there's a lot of athletes talking about, you know, the fact that they feel like the league should give the athletes options to 
figure out um, to learn how to do investments and things of that nature, or at least get some type of coaching so that way they don't end up broke after their career. Because you never well, know what's going to happen in football or right. any well, of Well, you know what? Here's an example. Of, I, you know who Bobby Bonilla is, right? Yes. Well, Bobby Bonilla is still making $5 million from Mets for another seven years, I believe, because he's, he, uh, he, he took a contract that was a payout over so many years. Instead of taking it all in one lump sum, he took it in a, a payout over like 20 years or something. So they're paying this guy who retired like 10 years ago $5 million till, for another seven years yet. How, how smart was he? That's a good agent you had there, buddy. Very true. I mean, he knew your career was, was going to end, but he negotiated a big settlement for you, and now you got money for the rest of your life. I will say this, though. A lot of these guys come from different backgrounds where they don't, right, right, they don't know anything right. about money. Right. Once they get it, right. they're kind of like crazy about it, you know? Right, right. And they don't realize that that money's not going to last forever, though. You know, they think they're going to make $5 million or $10 million for the rest of their life, and they spend like crazy. <laughs> they don't realize that in five or 10 years, their career is that done. Then what do you do? So in 10 years from their 20s, they're basically right. 80 years old in football years. Right, right, right. So they need to have somebody behind them that they can trust that's going to take care of their money and them for them. But most guys get swindled by their agents because they, their agents are, are sharks. They don't give a shit about them. Of course not. It's how much, it's how much commission can I make? You know, which isn't the right thing to do, but not everybody does the right thing, unfortunately. Money is like, it's like, man, you need money to survive, and then at the same time, it's the root of all evil. Right, right. That's exactly right. Listen, we need money to survive. We need money to pay our bills. We need money to pay our housing. We need money to pay our get our food. But guess what? It's not, it shouldn't be the most important thing, though, in your life. I agree. Some people make it the most important thing in their life, and it doesn't really need to be. You know, if you got a roof over your head, you got food on the table, you got clothes on your back, that's what you need. I agree. You know, you didn't know I was going to be a philosopher besides a comedian, did you? <laughs> I didn't know what kind of game you were going to give me. And to be quite honest, I'm enjoying this interview and I've enjoyed this conversation, my man. Right. Hey, I can, you know, I got a lot of experience behind me. Um, I'm straightforward. I don't bullshit people. Um, I like to have a lot of fun, but I also know I have a big heart for people that I, I care for and people around me and people that really know me know that. That's so, awesome. And I respect you for that. Sincerely. Okay. So, I'll tell you what, if I want to match, if I, um, if I were 30 years older, I would have been glad to meet a guy like you. Hey. You should be glad to meet me now. <laughs> I am glad to meet you now. I was like, I don't know where the heck you've been hiding, but it's finally cool to meet somebody as cool as you, man. Like seriously. And listen, I I think I'm I'm listen. I don't bullshit people. I've been I got I've been to a lot of experience, some good, some bad. And you know, I just was with somebody the other day, a woman, and she said, "Oh, I don't know if I like you or not. Da, 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 da. I don't know if I want to go out with you or not." I said, "Listen to me." I said, you could, I'll tell you my whole life story within a half hour or an hour, okay? And you either want to be with me or you don't, okay? And if you don't, I'm not going to bury my head in the sand. Take my word for it. 
I said, these shoulders are pretty, pretty broad. Okay. And I, things rolled off of them pretty easy. Okay. And I'm not going to stick my head in the sand. I'm going to get right. You know, like, you know, when you were a kid and you had like a punching bag that went down and came back right back up. Yep. I said, I'm like a punching bag. You can punch me. You can knock me down, but I'm not staying down. I'm coming right back up. It's the way it's got to be. I know what I am and who I am. I know what I got to bring to the table. You either want it, you either want it or you don't. If you don't, that's fine. It's your loss, in my opinion. It's the way it is. And put it on the table. Right. Right. And somebody said to me, why do you tell women so much about your life right away? And I said, listen to me. Whether I tell them the first date, the second date, the third date, or the fourth date, if they're going to be something with me, they're going to find out anyway. Okay? So it doesn't matter to me whether they find out the first date, the second date, or the third date. It doesn't matter. If they want to be with me, they're going to find out. I'm going to tell them my stories. I'm going to tell them my experiences. I'm not ashamed of them. I made some mistakes along the way. Okay? And I'm, hey, it is what it is. Okay? I just told somebody, I told somebody yesterday, if I, if I added up all the jewelry that I've bought in the last 40 years or, or 30, I've been, I was divorced at 43. So, um, I was engaged once before that. If I ended up all the jewelry that I that I bought for women between 43 and now, um, I'd probably be a very wealthy man. Okay? <laughs> it's got to be at least maybe 100 grand worth of jewelry. But I don't care. It's done. It's, it's, it's water under the bridge. I did what I did at the time because I wanted to do it. Okay? You're happy. You can't take it back. It, it is what it is, you know? So you can't. I can't worry about the money I spent. Or the money I don't have that I had before, or the house that I had before, or the car I had before. I'm still living. I'm still breathing. I'm still smiling. I'm still having fun with everything I do. That's most important to me. Everything else fades. Yep. I mean, things are not forever. Nope. Hey, listen. And I and I I'm very good at reality. I see things pretty much the way they are. You know. Um, there's a woman that lives near me who I kind of like and she likes me and oh she doesn't know whether she wants a relationship or not she says you know I, i'd like to go out with you for dinner once in a while well guess what i gotta take my friends out for dinner okay i don't need to go out with you once in a while for dinner and just have you know so we can have some small talk okay so we, i talk to her i talk to her on the phone i text her and i see her once in a while and we, there's a band that we both follow that we're both involved with and we're, we're, we're fine with that, and she's fine with that. Listen, she made the rules, and I'm going to live by them. That's all. But I'm not waiting for you. I'm not, I'd like it to be more, but I'm not going to wait around for you to, to decide what you really want or not want. You're not going to hold my life up. That's not fair at all. No, I went out with somebody about eight years ago. I met this lady, and we hit it off real well. And we went out like three or four times, and she said to me, you know, I have a problem. I go, what's the problem? <clears throat> and she said, well, I got this new job. I'm really busy at my job. I don't really have time for you right now, but I would like to see you. Can you wait about six months and go out with me again? And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, what happens in six months if we start going out and your life speeds up again? Where does that leave me? And she said, well, see, you don't want to go out with me anymore. I said, no, I didn't ask you that. I, I, I asked you a question and you couldn't answer it. I said, so I'm supposed to wait for you for six months, not do anything with anybody, and start going out with you again in six months, or it might take eight months or a year for you to get over whatever you're going through, okay? So I'm sitting idle 
for that eight months or 12 months when I could be meeting somebody else possibly, okay? And then we can start going out, and if your life speeds up again, then you're going to say, hey, Alan, guess what? I like you, but my life is moving too fast right now. I can't see anymore. I mean, where does that leave you? Guess what, honey? I ain't waiting for you. Sorry. Ain't happening. I never saw her again after that. She didn't like my answer, and I didn't really like hers, to be honest with you. So, I mean, I mean, what did you expect? I mean, right. you're a person with feelings, too. Right. That's not right. I, am, I, I supposed to, am I supposed to wait for you to, to figure out what you're going, what's going on in your life when, listen, not everybody's at the same place at the same time in their life. And if they're not, they're not. It's as simple as that. If they are, then they're going to be want to be with you. But if they're not in the same place as you at the same time, then they can't be with you. Simple as that. That means they're not worth the time or day. Obviously, right. they got other things in their mind in their life. They can't focus on a relationship. That's right. Absolutely right. Right. So, I mean, hey, Anthony, this has been a, a great interview. I really appreciate everything that you've done. I think I took up a lot of your time already. <laughs> so you didn't take up my time. You just, you, you made my time, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, listen, you can have me on any time again. I really enjoyed this. I enjoy, listen, you, you see, I, I enjoy talking. Uh, yeah. I have no problem talking to anybody about anything, to be honest with you. So I didn't really well, even have to do much. I just, I was able to just kind of enjoy it. Like, I've been yeah. soaking in a lot of game this week, and I got to mm-hmm. say, this is, this is definitely, like, top tier right here, my man, because, like, you really... I, I, I like the way that you express yourself, and we definitely got to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. You back no on. problem, man. Anytime you want to do it again, just let me know. Most definitely. So, ladies right, and gentlemen, man. G-Man right here. G-Man, I'm Alan Gale. You can go to my website, www.thegmannet and you see everything I've done. And uh, if I put some, sometimes I put stuff that I'm going to do. Sometimes I don't know what I'm going to do, <laughs> you know, until until it happens. But I put everything up there that I that anybody sends me a link to that I've done a podcast, a, a Marlin, or whatever. Um, yeah, as soon as I get a, a link to it, I put it up there and help them, try to help them out also. So um, I just yeah. have fun with everything I do. And if you see my website, you'll be laughing your head off at some of the stories I tell and life, ex- life, ex- life stories that I've told on podcasts. They're hysterical, you know. Yeah. So Ed, I really appreciate this. I appreciate you having me on. Anytime you want me back, just let me know. We'll set up a time and you can have me back. You got it. All right, man. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Well, with that, everybody, this is Anthony Anthem, a.k.a. Mr. A.k.a., and we are out of here. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Why didn't the three little pigs go in for some kind of flat share scheme? Does Jesus get to choose which wine he turns it into? Why don't Sims have the upper body strength to climb out of a swimming pool? And does everybody really want to be a cat? I'm Will Baker. And I'm Alex Prescott. And if you're the type of person that overthinks these deep philosophical questions, then Think to the Brink is the podcast for you. From Disney characters to song lyrics, debates to social etiquette, tune in every week for your dose of paralysis by analysis. All topic suggestions are welcome. If you can think it, we can overthink it. Think Think to to the the Brink. Brink. Available on all podcast platforms. Hey everyone, this is John Tolley, inviting you to check out War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast. Each week, me and my co-host Christopher Stolley discuss the news and theories surrounding one of the largest movie franchises in the world. So join us every Wednesday at 8 Eastern as we travel to the galaxy far, far away, right here on Anchor FM and wherever fine podcasts are heard.
You know, when you need CBD, vape juice, or new mod, go to Vape Scorpion. 10859 Boston Avenue, Philadelphia, PA 19116. They are formerly known as East Coast Vapor. They have all your needs, all the equipment, all the juice. And hey, while you're there, sit down, enjoy a beer, bring your own, and just hang out with a bunch of cool people. So guys, if you really need your next vape machine, or maybe you just want to try a locally made uh, juice, Make sure you hit up Vape Scorpion. That's 1085 Boston Avenue, Philadelphia, PA 19116. Or give a call to 215-464-8273. Oh yeah, and make sure you let them know that Realm of the Mist Entertainment sent you. He said that she said, how dare you say that? That's offensive. Well, someone's got to say it. It had to be said with Venus. Catch the live show Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time to get the recordings at any time. Guest shows weekly. Listener, beware. Mature content. Sexual content. Trigger warning. Do you dare say it? Hi, my name's Chris, and I'm here to tell you about Realm of the Mist podcast. Realm of the Mist podcast, we talk about all the great entertainment things from movies, music, books, comic books, and many, many other forms of entertainment, as well as politics, current events, and just general humor and having a good time. If you're looking for a podcast that is right up your alley, look no further than Realm of the Mist podcast here on Anchor.fm or where fine podcasts can be heard. Hi, this is Dave from the Comic Collection at 83 Bustleton Pike in Feasterville, Pennsylvania. Our phone number is 215-357-3332. We are right next to Northeast Philadelphia. We have action figures, gaming, statues, albums, and CDs, graphic novels, other knickknacks, and, of course, comics. Established in 1985, we are your go-to store. Come by and say hello and say that the guys from RadioCast FM Radio sent you. The address again is 83 Bustleton Pike, Feasterville, Pennsylvania, or call 215-357-3332. Three-Eyed Turtle? Is that alright? A fucking a three-eyed turtle. Who wants a mustache ride? Are you tired of the same old podcasts with no humor? Well, join us for After Hours, where everything is funny, at least to us, on Anchor.fm, and where quality podcasts are heard. How the fuck did we get on this? I don't know. CC started this shit. It's their fucking fault. Hey everyone, this is Dak. This is Liam. And this is White People Shit. We are a bi-weekly podcast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe you're bi week. I'm straight and strong. It means twice a week, you douche. Oh. Yeah, listen to us twice a week. On White People Wednesdays, we talk about gay stuff, zombies, superhero sex positions. And on Feature Peep Fridays, we interview the Feature Peep of the Week. Yeah, like a fucking furry. Just search WPS Podcast and look for the white dude in red pajamas. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We believe in equal opportunity humor, where all things can be made fun of. 
So if your feelings get hurt and you're offended, you can always eat a dick.